Hi, I'm Jocelyn Yaguse and welcome to Impact Chronicles, a platform where we explore the world of social impact, innovation and entrepreneurship in the African context. On each episode, we'll feature enterprises that are combining impact with sustainability and profit. Today, we chat to Grace Kamara, founder of Remit Fund, the company whose focus is assisting diaspora-led businesses with the resources they need to thrive and contribute to Africa's development agenda. So um, tell me a bit about your background. Yeah, so my journey is very interesting. I studied law and I've always worked in legal fields. Um, but I was, my passion was always international development. And um, that's when I decided to go to Oxfam after I finished law school. And, you know, if you know anything about African parents living in the diaspora, you know that they want you to get a proper job, right? They want yes, you to- they do. <laughs> There's like, you know, obviously everyone knows the cliche, the lawyer, the doctor, the engineer. And I, I studied law to appease them, but, you know, it wasn't really my passion. They were they were kind of a bit mystified when I went to work there, but I, I personally really enjoyed it. It was the hardest time of my life, but I also learned so much about development and how it's approached, the, the approach to development from the Western perspective to towards Africa because before I went to work there if I'm honest with you Justin I had never really thought of I'm from Sierra Leone it's one of the poorest countries in the world according to every index ever made by the UN but I never saw it that way you know we would go there on holiday and obviously we had a a civil war but I always saw its potential and, and just how I felt when I was there so I felt welcome we, you know, we, it was family, it was food, it was music, it was just always really positive. Obviously, there was the po- poverty, but it was only once I started working in development that I realized just the, the level of the issues. But I think what got to me even more than that was just the approach. It was very paternalistic. It was, if I'm going to say, perhaps even a little bit neo-colonial. And this, this was like a few years ago. So things have really changed. This whole concept of sh- social impact and social business wasn't as prevalent then so when I would um, speak to my colleagues at work and and say things like you know what about the diaspora and you know being involved in development or you know I was the only person of color in in my whole office can you believe you know just the more kind of the clients I had and the more organizations I worked for I realized this was just prevalent across the the sector you know this this kind of attitude and, and prevailing approach and it just really frustrated me but I didn't do anything about it. I was always involved outside of work with uh, volunteering for diaspora organizations, so organizations that were involved in um, engaging the diaspora in the development agenda. And I just did that on a voluntary basis. Um, and so anyway, um, I I got pregnant um, four years ago uh, with, with my twins. <laughs> and you know, the day that I found out I was having twins, I was actually in practice at the time. And I just knew it was going to be really tough. And actually, when I told my boss, she was, you know, I kind of, I started to get treated differently at work. And this happens to a lot of women at work. But I think just having twins kind of made it that bit more difficult, where it's like you don't get the the plum projects and everyone's worried if you're going to be around or if you're going to come back. And then obviously I, and um, I just realized like very quickly that I wanted to stay at home with them. Like I, I really, really did. And I wanted to homeschool them and I just wanted to watch them grow. And just, I I was just really, I loved being a mom. Like when I finally got over all the pain and everything, I just really loved being a mother. It was just so fulfilling. 
So then I remember speaking to my partner about like, you know, what I could do at home. And I did a little bit of legal consulting for a while, which is basically advising nonprofits, um, by, you know, as an independent. And, and most of them turned out to be members of the diaspora that had businesses. So then as I was advising them, I was like, well, you know, there's a lot of them for a start because what would happen is I would speak to one person and then they would recommend me to someone else. And um, like, you know, a lot of them couldn't pay me, to be honest. And I, you know, sometimes paid most of the time pro bono. And I, I was kind of okay with that. But, you know, my partner was kind of looking at me side eye, like, at what point are you going to start taking some money? But for me, it was just more, I realized that, there was a real gap here and a real need because a lot of these guys were doing amazing things, amazing projects on the continent, but they still had their full-time jobs. They had their families. They weren't living there and they were just doing this on the side. Maybe they borrowed money. Maybe, you know, they were working with a friend. And I just thought, this is amazing. Like we, more people need to know about this group of people that exists. And um, the more and more I thought about it, because, because we had thought about doing a business like maybe a, commercial farm or something like that and um, back home because we wanted to do something back home but the more I thought about it I was like well I can make even more impact if we somehow are able to get some funding for these guys because a lot of them were experiencing this funding gap so they were small businesses that wanted, wanted to scale but there was just no funding available and um, you know I kept thinking you know what what can I do what can I do? And then eventually I caved in and I, I went back to work. I went to work for the Thomson Reuters Foundation as their legal counsel. And while I was there, it just so happened that I, that they had a lot of contact with people like Western Union and PayPal, like a lot of finance, like FinTech um, organizations. And um, I just, I don't know. So I think one day I was just kind of putting the, the pieces of the puzzle together and saying, well, you know, in terms of remittances, you know, I did a little bit of research and you kind of, everyone kind of knows what's going on. But, you know, I really wanted to make sure I understood and realized that these huge amounts of money were going to Africa every year in, in remittances. And obviously we, we are still in the position that we're in. And then it kind of the, that sowed the seed for how we could leverage that. And um, I actually started by going to my boss at Thomson Reuters and saying, you know, this is something I think I really want to do. And, um, and, and they put me in touch with Western Union. And I had my first call with Western Union before any of this started. And I said, well, what about if you guys gave some money, you know, to these businesses? Because it's essentially them getting the money back through the fees that they pay you and everything else. We pay the highest fees, by the way, to Africa. And, um, and they were like, okay, <laughs> I really thought it was going to be like having to be a very hard sell, but you know, I think obviously they understood and actually they, they, um, the person I spoke to there did say that this is something that we do kind of ad hoc when there's a crisis, you know, when there's like a humanitarian crisis or, you know, a hurricane or something. So they're like, well, we already kind of do stuff like that. What is it that you want? So then I had to go back to the drawing board and really think about, well, how could this work? And so then I, I decided to put together a working group of all the kind of key people that could help define what this might look like. And that, yeah, that was the beginning of, of Remit Fund. <laughs> oh, that's very exciting. Um, I can relate to the motherhood part. I love being a mom. Um, about my Remit Fund, can you explain to me what exactly you guys do? Yeah, 
so basically what we do is we our tagline is that we transform remittances into social impact and basically what that means is because 40 billion dollars is going to africa every year so imagine 40 billion dollars every year just from remittances so i think overall through um, financial uh, foreign direct investment that's businesses aid you know the figure is is something like you know half a trillion but you know 40 billion of that is just remittances alone so what we what we do at remit fund is we find ways of leveraging th that money to reinvest back into businesses that are created by diasporas by africans in the diaspora so it's kind of like if you see it as kind of like this, a circle you know a cycle you know you put you send your money the money transfer operators like Western Union make a lot of money on fees. You know, they charge the highest fees. Um, they make a lot of profit from us. What we're asking them to do is reinvest some of that profit back into their customers. So the diaspora, because the diaspora are a unique group of people who are actually doing a lot for development back home through business. So by reinvesting, um, you know, with a financial return, so a little bit like a venture capitalist or, or private equity firm, we're able to support these businesses to scale. So they can they can go from, uh, you know, employing two or three people in a local shop, or, albeit they could be in, you know, a, a pharmacy or it could be any kind of sector, to then expanding into other regions and maybe being able to employ 50 people. And that makes a huge difference to economies. If you are operating in a small town and you're employing 50 people, that makes a huge, huge difference to the economy of that town. And, um, you know, it's well known fact that small, uh, small to medium sized businesses are the backbone of every economy. And this is something that, you know, the, the African Development Bank are really focused on in Africa because it's a missing opportunity for us. Um, so. That's why with Remit Fund, when we knew we were able to raise capital through charitable donations from these companies, our model was very much focused on supporting SMEs. And our model is, in addition to that, focused on supporting SMEs that are diaspora-led because we know the amazing things that these companies are doing on the continent and that they are very underfunded and they fall into a funding gap because they're not necessarily, if they're not based on the continent, then, you know, there are some funding streams which aren't necessarily open to them. If they're based outside of the continent, they're not necessarily asking for enough money for a private equity firm or a venture capitalist to really be that interested because they usually they're asking for less than half a million. So the idea is to fill that funding gap so that these guys can go off and, and do amazing things. And what we do is we focus on sectors that are SDG aligned. So um, our main criteria is that you're going to create jobs, you know, to put it very simply. Um, so we focus on things like manufacturing, renewable energy. Um, ethical fashion is a really interesting one because there's a lot of fashions, African fashion designers. As you know, African fashion is all the rage now. You've got Beyonce wearing um, African fashion designers. So that's something that we really wanted to capitalize on because a lot of these designers, because they're doing well, like on Instagram, they may have hundreds of thousands of followers. They now want to start manufacturing their stuff on the continent. So they really want to walk, they want to walk the walk, talk the talk, instead of, you know, in China where a lot of them have to do it. So we're trying to kind of build um, 
you know, get, get kind of build an advisory for them to be able to do that transition and at the same time access the funding for them to be able to do that. Because then we're talking about employing a hundred women in a factory in that, that can make a huge difference. You know, in terms of obviously providing jobs, but also skills and everything else, and then just that made in Africa brand. So, from from I, I my personal views, from the little that we do in being able to find that funding, the impact is immense in so many different arenas, and that's why I've chosen to focus as a development professional on social impact, social enterprises, and business because I think that can change lives in a more impactful way than some other areas of developments. Okay, so um, I need a bit of clarity regarding the type of enterprises you assist. Are they locally based? Are they based in, in Africa only or you also support businesses that are based abroad as long as they're part of the diaspora? The, the key criteria is that it's a diaspora-led business. So it doesn't because now business is, is, is global. It can be it can be registered locally on the continent or outside. It doesn't really matter. The key thing is that there is a there is someone behind it that's in the diaspora, whether they are on the board or, you know, 50 percent owner. We're, we're not super, um, you know, religious about that. It's more the, the hook for us is because it's diaspora led there that kind of that gives that puts tends to put the business in a different category than say a homegrown African business because you might have someone from the diaspora that's operating that business part-time they're still having to work they might want to give up their job and go home eventually and really really have even more impact and we want to support that we, we basically want to support diaspora whether they want to return home or just have the confidence for them to invest more on the continent, however that may be. So we just think that targeting that group is a really positive way to go. Now we've been, we, we're, our marketing is very much around diaspora-led businesses, but the reality is, you know, if you've got someone from the diaspora that is, you know, a 25% shareholder in the business, that may or may not be enough for us to still call it, call it a diaspora-led business, depending on what that person is doing. So we're not super, super strict on the criteria. And, you know, some people live six months, you know, out, six months on the continent, whatever. It's important to be flexible because we're all global. Citizens. We're all moving around and doing different things. Um, but it's really just harnessing the power of diaspora, um, encourage them to invest in the continent, whether it's their time, or earning or their money. We really, really want it's just a, a huge untapped resource that we want to support. Um, okay, uh, so let's talk a bit about your partnerships. Um, what has been your experience with your partners and who are they? Okay, so our partners are money transfer operators. So we have uh, a number of partners that we, and, and this has definitely been a learning for us because at first our model was simple. We wanted just to be the PayPal giving or the Amazon smile of the MTO sector, so the money transfer operator sector. So that meant that, you know, when you go to send your money, you can donate 1% of what you send at the point of sale, a bit like you do with PayPal or Amazon. And then that money comes to us. So that was our initial uh, model. 
Um, and we went to MTOs and um, they all said, yes, we'd be happy to do that. But the reality was or is that, you know, integration takes time. So we, myself being a very, very impatient person, said, well, you're telling me, you know, this is going to take six months for you to integrate it into your app and blah, blah, blah. Um, a couple of them have. A couple of them did it a lot quicker, generally the smaller ones. And we knew that that wasn't going to be enough to kind of raise the kind of capital that we needed to invest. So we just took the direct approach and we said, well, look, you know, if you have a, um, a CSR budget that you want to spend on a community project or whatever, come to us instead because we'll dub we can double your money. Um, not that you're going to ask for it back, right? Because it's charitable donation. But the point is, we can do more with your money. So if you if you give it to us, so you it's kind of like a form of venture philanthropy. You give us the money, you don't expect a return. So you're not a venture capitalist. The philanthropic part becomes, you know, the, the philanthropic aspect is that you don't expect a return. But the venture aspect is that you expect it to be invested. So we invest it in a business, i.e., diaspora-led business, and they make a return. And the return they give to us, we keep it. And then we reinvest it in another business. So we only invest in businesses. One of the criteria is actually businesses that are revenue generating. So they have to show that they are making a profit, however small. And um, so we're fairly conservative in that respect. We don't generally invest in startups, at least not not at this stage. Um, but we use, we use the, the profits from MTOs to, to, to invest in those businesses and our partnerships, you know, the way that we approach partnerships has definitely grown. And, and I think just it's, it's caused me to kind of open my mind a little bit more around because they always say yes, they're always really willing to help, but you have to have, you have to approach it in a way that you always have to put yourself in their shoes. You know, nobody wants to be bothered or um, feel like you're giving them lots of work to do. So for the bigger organizations, the traditional ones that have the bigger market share, um, and you know who those, those are, um, we had to kind of take it a bit more of a different approach but just because they're so big and to get anything changed or implemented takes months and months and months. So with the smaller, more wiry ones, um, it was very easy. You know, you're speaking to the CEO and he's probably the, the tech guy as well. So it's, he understands what you're trying to say and he can kind of implement very quickly. But with the bigger ones, we just said, well, look, we know you probably got a pot of money. You do your CSR reporting. Let us be your main partner. And and that's actually worked really, really well. And then there are just others who are more B2B. So what they do is they provide a lot of the tech enable, enablement um, for these MTOs to operate. So they're not like, they don't have customer, they don't have uh, consumers as part as customers. Um, and we also went to them as well and they or, or actually some of them approached us and they're like, oh, we love what you're doing. How can we get involved? And we said, well, you don't have, you know, your diaspora, not your customers, um, but you can give us money. <laughs> and and they basically said, yeah, OK, we, we'd be happy to do that. So a lot of them sponsor our events. So we have what we call the diaspora masterclasses um, every year. We had one on agribusiness earlier this year. And what a lot of them do is they're they're happy to just put their name on the event and, and to give us some sponsorship. And um, that's a really great way of get, getting them involved as well. Um, and with our masterclasses, we basically um, connect investors to um, the diaspora entrepreneurs, usually startups that want to you know, start their businesses on the continent. We connect them and they're always sector specific. So we don't do general business classes. We do very, very targeted you know, agribusiness was, was this year, 
Next year, it will be uh, renewable energy. So it's the big players, big investors in renewable energy that want to invest in, in, in Africa that are able to meet these guys. And that, for, personally, for me, was really important because if you really follow investments in Africa and you see who's getting the money, you know, it's your kind of, you know, your stereotypical uh, Harvard graduate who's gone, you know, been in a kind of accelerator program that then gets the money. And oftentimes they're not African and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think we also have to support, you know, we also have to um, champion and support Africans in the diaspora, making sure that they're not falling through the cracks and they have opportunities to access this funding as well. So, um, so really the, our partnerships have been very varied. And, you know, anyone that's going into business, I would always encourage them to keep an open mind because when you're a startup, which is essentially we were a few years ago, we had to pivot many times to find the right approach. And the pitch decks that I sent out a year ago look very, very different from what I send out now. And um, we've, we've definitely, it's definitely been a learning curve for us, but I think we're in a good place now where we just can get our message conveyed a lot more clearly and uh, succinctly and really get people on board a lot quicker. Okay, um, so let's talk more about your programs. Um, I saw on the website that you have a few programs that you run uh, that help entrepreneurs in the diaspora. Yes, yeah, so we have, uh, as I mentioned, the Masterclass is our, our kind of main flagship um, program that happens every year. Um, and we focus those, as I said, on specific sectors and also in regions where there is a big concentration of diaspora. So Paris, London and Washington, D.C. tend to be our main um, areas of focus. Um, and then in addition to that, we've just launched a partnership with the Mara Foundation. So that's the philanthropic arm of the Mara Group. And they are a um, an African company, one of the biggest African companies that um, has recently moved into the mobile phone space. So they're going to be the first company to create an, 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 a fully African uh, smartphone, uh, which they are manufacturing in Uganda. So we're really, really glad to be working with them because they get it. They get this whole made in Africa thing. So basically their foundation are partnering with us and they have um, a program called Mara Mentor. This program basically connects uh, African startups with uh, global business leaders. So it's a little, a little bit like a dating app. They get matched on an app and they can and then get mentoring from business leaders all over the world. So we basically went to them and we said, look, we want to do this for members of the diaspora because there are, so there's two things. There's obviously the diaspora entrepreneurs, just like the African entrepreneurs that we would like to connect with mentors. But we specifically or more so want to focus on diaspora mentors because uh, there's lots of individuals in the diaspora who don't necessarily have businesses back home. So they're not diaspora entrepreneurs, don't really have a lot of time, but they might be doctors or HR specialists or accountants. or so They can give two or three hours a week um, and they want to do that, but they need a, a channel. They need a way that facilitates that in a really, really simple way. So the idea of this app is, so it's integrated with Maramentor, but it's Remit Fund's specific space. They can go into that app and they can, let's say that you're from Zimbabwe and you're an HR specialist, which by the way is one of the areas that is hugely, hugely underserved um, for our 
for our uh, uh, diaspora entrepreneurs. So after funding, recruitment tends to be the biggest need for entrepreneurs. So um, the idea is that you're a HR specialist, you're working for, let's say you're working for L'Oreal in Paris, and you're from Zimbabwe originally, you don't, you've got a family, you don't have time. Um, you, maybe you send remittances, maybe you don't, because this is another thing, a lot of, not all diaspora send remittances. So let's say you're a millennial and you're quite young and you don't necessarily have that link back home, but you want to reestablish it. So you're born in Paris. What you can do if, if you want to, and, and let's say you say to yourself, well, I have two or three hours a week. I really wish I could help a local business, you know, and use my HR skills. Um, on the app and then you can search under your region your country and identify a diaspora led business that is operating in or whose focus is uh zimbabwe and they specifically need hr support um, or some advice on some hr issues and then you can give two hours a month if you want it can be general business advice mentorship or it can be specific hr you know advice um if that's your skill set and we just think that that's a reaching out to those members of diaspora that don't necessarily um, have too much time on their hands, which let's face it is most of us, but also don't necessarily want to start businesses or really send money yet. Perhaps they don't really trust that, but they're able to give their time. So we're really excited about that program, which is going to launch in September. Um, and then in addition to that, we, so we have the masterclasses. We also have, um, but we also do Facebook live sessions which are um, hour-long sessions on Facebook where we bring together um, investors. Like, we, we choose a topic. So the first one that we did was on African fashion designers, and we brought together some di uh, fashion designers in the diaspora, investors, uh, business people that understood the, the sector, and had them just talk for an hour about their experiences, how to get, how to raise money, blah, blah, blah. This is one of our most popular um, um, programs um, in terms of views and, and the feedback we got. So we're hoping to do another one. I won't say on what because that's going to be announced soon. But we love doing those. It's it's like you know fairly easy to to set up as opposed to a masterclass, which obviously takes a lot longer. And um, it's a series that we're hoping to continue, and it's a format that's worked really really well. So so there's that. Um, and then obviously with the funding that we provide. Um, to businesses, we are looking to launch an accelerator program because, um, as you very well know, if you're if you're a business and you you need funding, that's one thing. But there may be other things that you need around that, other support that you need around that as well. So we don't want it to be a case of we're just giving you the money and then you know you just. We'd like to kind of create a whole accelerator program, like a twelve month program that supports you through the process and. Um, so that's something that we're looking to to implement in the next next year. But as I said, the reason we haven't got that up and running right now is because a lot of the businesses we invest in are already very well established, um, but we're helping them to grow. So we're helping them to kind of get to the next level. So they don't necessarily need that hand-holding. But over time, as more and more businesses come through our pipeline, we want to be able to offer, you know, like many organizations do, this kind of like 12-month accelerator program. Um, so that's, that will be another program that we offer um, in time to come. Okay, uh, and the Remit Fund and the in Diaspora Investment Platform, how's that going? Has that been launched yet? So the, the platform is essentially what we're, so it's, a, it's kind of a, how can I say, a virtual platform. So it's essentially what we are creating now. 
Um, the investment platform is something that we are in discussions around with a current platform provider because we don't want to create something new. So there's a lot of um, there's a lot of individuals in the diaspora that have platforms that essentially a little bit like um, Kickstarter. So you, you know you go on and you see the business and you can uh, you can fundraise and uh, you can crowd what is it crowdfunding you can do crowdfunding on the platform. So we uh, we're very much looking into that because the, a lot of the businesses that come to us don't necessarily qualify for funding. We we can I would say we can only invest in between five to ten businesses per year at the moment because and that that's that's a figure that you'll see across any venture capitalist or private equity firm so we're not um unusual in that sense in fact we're very generous the reason being is because there's just not enough viable businesses and um that's something that we we're trying to work on through the master class and the, the facebook lives and everything else and, and the accelerators that we actually create these viable businesses and strengthen them so everything kind of works within an ecosystem it's all connected um, the platform is basically the idea of the platform is still in development. The idea of the platform is to have businesses of whatever stage being able to go onto the platform and themselves independently crowdfund um, with our MTO partners matching whatever they raise. So that's kind of our um, USP and you know, our, our unique selling point is that if you go into Kickstarter, you raise what you raise. If you come onto our platform, you get match funded. So you basically double whatever it is you manage to raise. Um, there will be some criteria around who gets onto the platform. Obviously, you have to be registered, blah, blah, blah. But it's definitely a lot looser than who can get funding from us. Um, and so that's something that's in development. We, we're going to use an existing um, platform provider that's already out there. And that has won multiple awards, I should say. So they're really, really good. And we're just basically going to integrate with them as well. Um, that that probably come will come to fruition next year because it does take time to develop a platform. It's really really complex process, particularly in terms of due diligence and making sure that the businesses are um, are viable and, and nobody gets sued or anything like that. Um, so that's that's going to take a little bit of time. But yes, that's something that we're planning to do. Um, hopefully. I'd like to, to say optimistically um, early next year. Wow, that's very good. Um, so what, you, what have your results been so far and um, how do you measure your impact? So our results so far is, we, so we're going through a process right now because we're fairly new and we're kind of getting to, it's our one year anniversary officially in, Ju in June, June last month, it was our one year anniversary. Well done. <laughs> So it was really a nice. A year is a long time. Yeah, a year is a really long time. But, you know, we've been operating unofficially before then. So I'd say we're about two years old. And um, we're now through, going through a process of actually measuring, you know, our impact. And hopefully, well, we're doing our annual report anyway. We have to for the board, for our board of directors. But, you know, we want to do something publicly as well to say, be able to say how many businesses we've helped. Um, you know, the kinds of business that like, divide it into regions and sectors and all of that so that we can share that information with you. Um, so, you know, kind of saying anecdotally, I mean, I know that we have helped hundreds, if not thousands of businesses from at, at every stage, individuals as well, diaspora entrepreneurs with their with their idea, with their seed um, idea to really grow it. 
And I know that we've also connected a number of businesses through our events to investors who are now going through their own due diligence process to raise funding. So that's that I can say for sure. Um, we've inspired thousands of people all over the world. I mean, after we have an event, we literally have people contacting us saying, oh my God, I found my tribe. Like, I can't believe that people exist. Other people exist that are doing this. I feel, thank you so much. I actually have people to talk to that I can explain what I'm trying to do. And I feel like I found a family and can you do more? And it's just, it's really, really um, encouraging when you get those messages. So, you know, in terms of impact, I know our impact is really, really um, extensive. Um, but we now want to just focus on having, being really strategic about our partnerships and, 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 and really, really like laser sharp focused on what we're doing, even if it means we're doing a little bit less and we, we only run, say, three or four programs. And this is why we do a lot of partnerships, by the way. So the Mara Foundation partnership is wonderful because they already have the app. They already have the techie guys. We don't, all we need to do, all they do it for us is, is literally rebrand it with our branding and our specs. Um, so they've saved us a lot of time and a lot of money. And so that's why we can implement fairly quickly and launch uh, fairly quickly. But you know, if we try to do that by ourselves, that would be a year. With you know, we're doing a lot, um, as much as we can, really, really quickly, and um, it's all it's all going really, really well. Like even better than I could have ever imagined. My initial idea of this was just I get some money and I invest it in these businesses, and then it became very, very clear very quickly that we needed to have a whole host of programs that support that central ideology because. Unless you have support mechanisms for these businesses to come through, you'll never have enough businesses that you can fund. You actually have to help create those businesses yourself and help strengthen what's already out there and map what's already out there, get the numbers, understand who's doing what in what sectors, which sectors are underserved. How can you encourage people to go more into renewable energy and focus less on fashion or whatever, or whatever it is needed? How can you stop you know everyone who's from x country wanting to go into x sector because that's what's known and push them more into something else you know so there's a whole bigger policy bigger picture aligning with what local governments are doing so what what is the local you know Cote d'Ivoire government investing in is it agriculture well then we're not going to go and encourage everyone to do solar because you know that might or we may do you know depending so we have to do our own analysis and make sure that we try and steer people in the right direction and also stop people from making like emotional investments, which is a lot of time what diaspora, you know, do. So what do you envision for your enterprise in the future years? Um, I think we'll just continue to grow. Um, we are currently based out of Brussels, so we're registered in Brussels. We're a global um, organization. so. We have um, eight team members at the moment, eight wonderful people. Um, and I think, you know, with all the programs that we have going on, we could easily have, you know, a team of 50 and still not have enough. <laughs> so I think, you know, we, as I said, because we're being approached more and more for partnerships and people are coming up with great ideas, we want to incubate those. We want to support those. So I think we'll just continue to grow. I'd like to see us in the next two or three years have um, you know, an office in Washington, an office in London, and then an office, you know, maybe two or three offices on the continent in the different regions um, so that we've really got people 
cemented and, and that are doing the work for us. Um, and just, just continue to grow like our ticket sizes at the moment, you know, we invest, um, our ticket sizes between zero and half a million in, in businesses. I'd like to see our ticket sizes go up to 2 million per business. So we really start trying to create the next Teslas and Facebooks and, and all of that. Um, so just, just get bigger and bigger and more monstrous and more impactful and, and just have a bigger voice, you know, so that, you know, when we speak, people really listen and, and they say, well, this is, you know, just become a, a leader and an expert on diaspora issues um, because think tanks are just as important as investors, you know, in terms of setting, agen you know, government agendas and, and EU agenda for Africa. Um, so any words you'd like, any words of advice you'd like to give fellow social entrepreneurs? It's not an easy choice. Uh, you have to have a lot of resilience and um, you have to really believe in what you're doing. But I think, you know, to end, the beauty of being a social entrepreneur is that you're often doing what you're doing because of a real sense of injustice, a real sense of, you know, you as an entrepreneur, you're, you're likely to be very passionate about what you're doing. So maybe the products you're making or the service you're providing. But as a social entrepreneur, I think there's an added dimension of like just being kind of angry, <laughs> you know, and really have, there is a, there's something that you see that isn't right and you are driven to change it. And for me, that's why I have had the career I've had. It's always been around social, you know, fighting for social justice. And this is another extension of that. Um, and, and that, just know that that will keep you going through the difficult times. So there will be times when you want to give up. But when you think about what giving up means for this thing that you're trying to change, I think sometimes that will keep you going and, and you'll just think to yourself, well, I've been chosen somehow and I have to keep going and I have to make this work. And, and actually when people sense that in you and they feel that about you, um, they come and help you. And, and I think my journey, fingers crossed, I hope I'm not, you know, precipitating anything, but I do think that my journey has been, as an entrepreneur, has been a little bit easier for that reason because there is that social element behind it and that, you know, you just go and you tell people the story and they're like, wow, yeah, I didn't think of that. I mean, that's just not right. You know, what can we do to help? And so that's been, so use it. You know, if you're a social entrepreneur, make sure that you tell your story, even if you have to practice it at home before you go out, make sure that it's really, really clear because that's, that gives you the edge, you know, you're not just there to make money, you're there to, to create a social impact and people love to hear those stories because they, it inspires them. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and you will join us for the next one. To stay abreast with what is going on on our platform, subscribe to our newsletter and don't forget to follow Impact Chronicles on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Medium. If you would like to be a part of the show, contact us on editor at impactchronicles.com. Till next time, bye.